Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with Junior Renee Bobrun. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you are a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you to this ongoing conversation that is now in its 69th episode. We are in Season 6, Episode 69. And if you are a returning listener, I'd like to welcome you back to this ongoing conversation. Thanks again for lending me your ears. Thanks also again for following us on Instagram at Whose World Is This 2021. Thank you for the emails, all of your questions, kudos, concerns, uh, business inquiries. Definitely relegate them to Whose World Is This 21 at gmail.com. That's Whose World Is This 21 at gmail.com. Thank you for the cash apps at dollar sign June Bow. Thank you for the Venmos at June Bow, which is J U N B E A U, June Bow. Thank you guys for purchasing the uh, How to Successfully Self Publish Your Book at ChavezHouse.com. That's Chavez with an S C H A V E S House.com. Thank you for checking us out on Amazon at Chavez House Publishing and purchasing the journals and or books at uh, Chavez House Publishing under Lenore Batista. Lenore Batista is the only author that um, publishes things for Chavez House. So if you put in Chavez House Publishing and you see other authors come up, that's not that's not us. Uh, for whatever reason, I guess sometimes they put other items, maybe uh, similar items in the same sort of search engine. But for the most part, if you'll see the Lenore Batista journals and it goes on for pages, it's about three, four pages worth of product. I guarantee you'll find one you like or someone that, you know, will like. And it makes a great gift, makes a great one. It's inexpensive, you know, and um, it makes a great one. So pick up one, pick up two, pick up three, pick up a dozen. Enjoy. Pick them up, sell them back. I don't know. Do, do whatever you want to do. Retail them, resell them, do whatever. But pick one, at least one up. Appreciate you on that. Um, don't know if it sounds a little different in here. I'm actually testing out a studio. I'm not. Usually I do my recordings from one or two places. Most of the recordings I've done, I would say 95% of them have been done in my home office. I did one recording in my car, I think, or two, and I was uh, overlooking a lake. I was doing some work on my, on my laptop, and I just had a couple of ideas for a show, and it came out pretty well. You guys didn't know it. I think one of the episodes you guys knew I was in the park because I mentioned it. But um, I did two episodes outdoors. I liked it, didn't love it. So that's why I haven't done it again. Um, I enjoy being indoors and just having a controlled environment to just focus on my thoughts as opposed to everything going on in my environment. Because as you guys know, this show is pretty much a stream of con consciousness. I rarely have more than one or two lines worth of notes. Sometimes I just have words that keep me on point. If I if I am looking at my screen or something like that, I'll. I'll um, have an, a word or two that will keep me on track for what I'm saying. So if I'm speaking from the top, I don't want to be distracted by the birds, the bees, the trees, etc. Right. So that's why I like to keep it indoors. But I'm trying a new studio space. Yeah, it's sort of like one of these uh, corporate shared spaces where people have meetings and people can use little studios if they want to do interviews with people let's say i have an interview with a, a radio station or a news outlet you know i could rent out this little room here and do it in a very quiet and controlled uh soundproofed environment but i'm noticing this place has a a large ac and some equipment in there i think it's giving me a little ambient noise but if you do hear a little ambient noise try to cancel that out um, just know I'm in a new environment just in case it sounds a little different. I'm testing it out. If you guys like it, I'll do a couple more in here because I may do some in-person interviews in this space. So I'm testing it out to see if I like it, you know, as far as, uh, doing these podcasts and things like that, doing different shows, different, different things. I may do an audio book. I may do it in here, but um, I think my home office is a little quieter. I don't know. No, no. Cause I'm actually paying money to be in here right now. So, you know, oh. we shall see. In any case, thank you guys again for tuning in. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you guys for, like I said, the Venmos, the following on Instagram, the cash apps, and purchasing the book. It's, uh, um, I'm purchasing the books, I should say. So I really appreciate that. <clears throat> so last episode, 
<laughs> My fiance told me it sounded like I was chastising someone on the phone. <laughs> I th and I listened I and I rarely listen to my voice over again. I'm not a big fan of listening to myself uh speak, so I just like to get it out, you know, out of my head and move on. But I listened a little bit to it and I got to say towards the <laughs> Middle end, I don't want to say it was a little cringeworthy, but that was like, damn, Jude, who are you? Ang are you angry? And I wasn't angry at all, but it's just the level of, of I guess, the, my volume and my delivery. It sounded like I was on the phone having a somewhat of a heated discussion. And when, when my fiance told me that she heard me from the other room, which she rarely does, she was like, I heard you. Are you were you on the phone? I said, no, I was doing a, doing a podcast. She was like, Really? About what? And when I told her, she said, yeah, okay, because you sounded a bit, you know, sounded a bit, sounded like you were kind of having a disagreement. And I thought to myself, wow, um, should I do it over? I thought, should I just delete that last one? The last one I did, which was U.S. versus Russia Part 2. I said, should I do that one over? And I've decided no. I thought that the passion was warranted based on the subject matter. People are refugees. People are dying. Uh, men and women are going off to fight in, in, in battle and they're going to lose their lives. Lives are lost and will continue to be lost. So if it's a bit passionate, if, I'm, if it sounded like a disagreement, I apologize for that. If it sounded like a chastisement, I apologize for that. But I won't apologize for the volume or the passion that was exhibited if if you considered it passion or whatever the case but i noticed it sounded a markedly different from my other broadcasts but um i listened i was like damn dude you, you maybe you should do it over and i decided i thought about it and i said no we're going to keep it we're going to keep it because of the tenor because of what's at stake and and i don't mean just the lives i mean our mentality our mindset what's at stake What's at stake based on how we think about certain things? So last episode, we spoke about the U.S. We spoke about the Ukraine. We spoke about Russia. We spoke briefly about proxy wars that the United States and Russia has been engaged in for over 70 years. Predates most of us listening to this thing by at least 30 plus years, right? But some of us, maybe by 10, 15, I have professors that are in their 70s. I have actually a professor that's in his 70s that listens. He and I had a robust discussion. I think we discussed that in episode, I'm sorry, uh, um, part one of USA versus Russia. Uh, I think I, I discussed a conversation he and I had, and which, was very, which, which I thought was a very important conversation about these, uh, th this dilemma, this conundrum that we're in. But, you know, this conundrum that we're in, I have to, I had to, put, I have to do what I do, which is put things in its proper context, because this is going to be a continuation of that. And we're going to probably veer into something else towards the end of this particular uh, broadcast today. But I got to call it what it is. Um, everybody's up in arms about what's going on, whether it's Russia's fault, whether it's this one, whether it's that one. Right now, Venezuela is in need of 25 percent of Venezuelans are in need of some sort of humanitarian aid. 5.4 million of them have left their country. 94% of Venezuelans lived in, live in poverty. Meanwhile, about 15 years ago, that was not the case. But at the time, there was a, a, a person called Hugo Chavez that was running the country, and he was aligning himself more with Russia than he was with the United States. Fast forward, he's no sanctions were I I applied. The country, you know, he's gone. Then you have Maduro. You have other things going on. You have, a, you have a coups, allegedly, coup d'etat. You have riots on the ground. A lot of things going on. I can go into great detail about Venezuela. But none of us are in arms. It, it, and, I, and I have to say that because when people speak about, is this World War III? I go, well, it depends on where you live. Because there are many, many people in the world right now that were ascending into at least the lower middle to middle class that have now descended into poverty. And let's just say there are Western 
influences that have influenced that have contributed to their descent into poverty and sanctions let me explain something to people out there when you hear the word sanction being used so liberally oh u.s is imposing sanctions on iran u.s is imposing sanctions on cuba u.s is imposing sanctions on venezuela u.s is imposing sanctions on russia who do you think it hurts you think it hurts a billionaire if he can't access all of his money <laughs> you know he doesn't just have it in Swiss banks and banks in the Caymans and banks in, 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 in trusts, etc. If you make it to those levels of money, you know how to access a good bulk of your money so you're not poor. Guess who it hurts? Sanctions, by nature, are supposed to do one thing. It's supposed to squeeze the people on the ground to the point where they are so poor, so destitute, so desperate, so angry, with their government for not being able to provide for them, that they go and they rush the palace of wherever their president or prime minister is living, wherever their head of state is. Then the military uh, turns on, on the uh, actual uh, 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 presiding leader of that country. And then out of nowhere, the West can come and allied forces can say, listen, you have lost legitimacy. You have lost control of your government. You have to go. Either you leave and you are exiled or you stay and you get your head chopped off. And then when you leave, then the West or whatever powers will install, you know, elections in quotes, italicized and underlined. And, and all of a sudden there's a leader that they are aligned with coincidentally and conveniently. So in many parts of the world, in the U.N., it's actually called many sanctions that the U.S. has imposed on certain countries. They've called it tantamount to war crimes. Do you care about that at all? I'm just wondering. And I'm speaking to the people specifically who are looking at viewing the events in Russia, Ukraine right now as binary. The people who see Russia as the big bad wolf and the U.S. as the hero. I'm speaking specifically to that group right now. Everyone, anyone can chime in or tune in or listen in. But the group who thinks Russia, big bad wolf, United States, good, Russia, evil, okay? Teddy bear, polar bear, that dynamic. Sanctions by design are supposed to make poor people poorer. Sanctions are supposed to not make poor people, because if you're rich, you're going to hold on to a certain amount of your wealth anyway. So they're hoping that some of the wealthy will turn on the uh, uh, head of state as well. And then they'll, through back channels, will speak to, you know, the other forces and speak to the outside state actors that want. Let me, let me get specific. If you're in Venezuela and you're rich and the U.S. imposes sanctions, the U.S. is hoping that some of you rich guys are going to go, hey, listen, we can get them out of here through back channels, then you're speaking to the elites, the other elites, and, they, and they'll ask the United States and other allies, what do you want, other adversaries? What is it that you want exactly? And if the U.S. says, we want him gone, and we want his second-in-command gone, this is who we want. We have a couple of ideas. Here's a list of names. Matter of fact, there's a list of names, but that one at the top of the list is kind of like the guy we want. What do you, what do you think? Then all of a sudden, a series of events occurs. Then we start hearing on the news about, oh, there's coup. There's unrest in a certain region in Venezuela. The people are unhappy with their leadership. There's unrest. You know, you know uh, the sanctions, they need humanitarian aid. So you squeeze them via sanctions. And then with the right hand and with the left hand, here comes the humanitarian aid. This is what happens a lot of times. I'm not calling the U.S. a villain. I'm saying this is how things work. So before you start attaching moral attributes to one side as bad or good, understand the expediency and political expediency before we start going, ah, this is bad, this is good. You understand? This is very, very important. Why is it important? Because it talks directly to the things that are going on today, today in these countries. So you had that happen in Venezuela. Venezuela right now is a failed state. 
I have friends of mine who are Venezuelan right now. I have friends who have family that haven't been in Venezuela for five years. They're traveling all across South America trying to find a place to call home because it's a failed state doing no small part to interventions by outside actors who are not happy with how things were going. Venezuela did not have a 94% poverty rate when, when Hugo Chavez, was the communist or socialist, was in office. They didn't have 5.4 million people fleeing the country. They didn't have 25% of the people in need of some sort of humanitarian aid. That's not what was going on. That wasn't the narrative. It was heading up. The, the, the oil was nationalized. They were making up their own decisions as they went along, saying, no, we're going to make up our minds. We're going to do this our way. We're going to do this our way. OK, so, yeah, we're going to do this. OK, but guess what? We didn't like that. So in our own way, we intervened. Are you OK with that? If you're not, then OK, good. We're on the same page. Can we talk about the International Criminal Court? Hmm. Do you want to have that conversation when we had over 70 nations support the court and oppose the U.S. sanctions? The U.S. tried to sanction the International Criminal Court. Why? They tried to sanction the prosecutors, tried to re um, freeze their assets and their visa capabilities and traveling capabilities. Why? Because guess what? The United States had to answer for a lot of the things that occurred in Afghanistan, it was like, hey, wait a minute. If we're going to call, if we're going to call it war crimes by the same name, if they do it, then we got to call it by the same name if you do it. Are you listening to me, guys? Reason why I'm bringing this up is because a couple of friends of mine was like, June, damn, you got a little. I don't want to say heavy handed because I wasn't as f I don't want I wasn't as information dense as I usually am. I think the things that I was saying was almost a debate over rhetoric and tenor and language. I was speaking more about how do we identify certain groups? Are we already triggered and are we already labeling a group as the good guys and the bad guys before we even hear the facts on the ground? As soon as we just hear the names and the players, have we already predisposed are we already predisposed to a, a, a train of thought how are we all have we made up part of our minds already when the name russia gets into a conversation and then u.s is in a conversation have we made up our minds so that's why i wanted to bring that up but then and then i started bringing in a couple of little general facts and details i want people to do their own research truthfully i think that's where i'm at with it i don't want to be that guy that's giving you all that that, that dates, times, this, that, and the third. I'm like, hey, don't take my word for it. Please, by all means, go look it up myself if it's going to make a difference in how you see things. Because most of the people that are speaking about the events going on in Russia and in Ukraine have no clue as to the political facts and the footsie games and the, dip and the back channel games that have been being played in that region for decades since the fall of the Soviet Union. The games that the West is being being has been played out there, the United States specifically, other nation states, as well as Russia, what's been going on in the region. They don't know, but it's easy to just keep painting it as a communist, socialist, Soviet Union, you know, boom, 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 you know, lockstep Bolsheviks out there, Cossacks out there on front street trying to just take over everything. Right, 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 right. Evidence is to the contrary. Evidence, evidence actually points to us being the um, very aggressive in the last 20, 30 years as far as expansion. And other, other regions have actually retracted. We have grown, grown exponentially. Okay? So we have the uh, International Criminal Court. Over 70 countries support the court and oppose the U.S. sanctions. Okay? They tried to free, United States tried to freeze assets... Uh, they tried to uh, 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 um, um, renege on visas. And guess what? Why? Because guess what? 
There were a lot of things that the United States has to answer for, especially in parts of the Middle East, in regions where these energy-dense regions that affect a lot of these other countries as well. So you have countries like Argentina, South Korea, South Africa, Spain, France, Chile, United Kingdom, that all opposed the U.S. sanctions and supported the court. Allies of the U.S., not adversaries of the U.S., Canada, Australia, NATO nations, France, NATO nations, Italy, NATO nations, UK, NATO nations. All of the allies were like, hey, dudes, yeah, we all got to answer. We got to answer. We have to somehow come to some accord to the things that we've done. And if, it, if there's some sort of reparations and there's, and there's a, a, um, a, a day of reckoning, then so be it. Italy had to go through that with Libya. Italy had to Italy had to stand there and deal with what they did to Libya when they invaded Libya. I think it was in the 20s or something like that. Yeah, that's what they had to do. And then when Gaddafi became president, he expelled the Italians. He, he expelled the Libyan Jews and said, you guys go home because they were coming there in droves and they colonized uh, uh, Libya in the 20th century, for God's sakes. OK, we're not talking about the colonialism that existed in the 16th, 17th, 18th and 19th century. 20th century, just saying mine, neo-colonialism in the 20th century. Gaddafi expelled all of them. One of the main reasons why he was a major threat to the West, when he especially when he expelled those Western bases. And then there's, arg there's an argument that he was going to the Libyan oil contracts were not going to go to uh, European nations. He was going to have oil contracts go to China and Russia. And guess what happened then? Sarkozy, one of our UN or NATO, NATO member, what did he do? He went in there full force trying to get Hillary Clinton support as Secretary of State, everything. Remember Benghazi? All of these things are happening. And all of a sudden, the, the uh, Obama administration said, we're going to lead from the rear, whatever that means. We're going to let France take the lead on this. This is in our fight. And guess what happened? Gaddafi ends up dead. His body on television. On television. I have friends from Libya. I'm living in New York City, I know a couple of dudes from Libya and from Egypt. I, I, know, I know a lot of North Africans, actually. Because in, in, there's a certain parts of Brooklyn in New York where it's just, you, you can call it little N.A., little North Africa. You have Morocco, you have Libya, you have Egypt, all over there. You know what I mean? And um, they all eat at the same places. They pray at the same spots. They're all, so I knew a couple of them. And we'd always talk about Libya and things like that, about Gaddafi. And was he really real about his Pan-Africanist leanings and et cetera, et cetera. He's a wild boy, that boy Gaddafi. But the France, France went in there. France went in there and decided that they wanted to get rid of him, that all of a sudden he's gone. We're done with him. And then his body was being paraded throughout the streets. And I watched that video and saying to myself, my goodness, this is where it is. I said, Libya is going to be a failed state. And guess what? Guess what? France was hoping to have those oil contracts. Italy was hoping to have those oil contracts. The majority of those oil contracts went to Russia and China anyway. And right now, as we speak, Libya is a failed state. Libya is in way worse a condition than it is now than it was back then. And there are so many countries after Western NATO intervention over the last 20, 30 years that are in a worse condition now than they were before NATO got there. And sometimes that's by design. So I just want to really dispel this mythos that the West represents a, a greater good that it represents good to begin with and that it represents a greater good. It represents its interests like every other country and it will represent its interests amorally, immorally, politically expediently, regardless of who on the ground is dying, regardless if men, women, and children are dying from bombs or sanctions. Doesn't matter. We will win the hearts of minds because we will call it democracy. This is democracy. This is free market building, nation building. This is what we're doing. Is Afghanistan any more built than, than it was before, guys? I, I, I just want these questions answered by those same people. That's why, I'm that's why I'm asking these questions specifically in the hopes that I get answers in some of my emails and some of my text messages and some of the phone calls and some of the things like that.
Okay? Because why would the court, why would this court be sanctioned? Why would this court be sanctioned? This international criminal court. The court was created to hold accountable perpetrators of genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity in cases where adequate national judicial systems are not available. Okay? U.S. Uh, President Bill Clinton signed it, but George Bush renounced the signature, you know, he, because George Bush thought that America would be unfairly prosecuted for political reasons, etc., etc. It's interesting, though. A lot of the things that the U.S. does, we call it nation building. And then when another country does the exact same thing, it's called aggression and, 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 and aggressive expansion and, in, and incursions. We use a lot of different words to describe the exact same actions. And I think that there's and I know for a, for a fact that there's a contingent that is OK with that, because I look now and I say to myself, all of these countries have opened up their borders to Ukrainian refugees of war. Do you know how many refugees we have due to economic and, and, and actual military actions? Do you know? You remember Syria? Nobody wanted the Syrians. Meanwhile, France, United States, Russia, China, everybody was in Syria. Everybody was in on the Syrian party. That was scary. While everybody else is thinking about Russia, Ukraine, Around that time, I was going, my God, things are getting hot. Right around the Obama administration, I was like, things are getting hot out there. Things are getting hot, hot, hot. Nobody wanted the Syrians. Nobody wanted the Syrians. In Central Africa right now, we've had the conversations. Blood cobalt, blood diamonds. You have children with no arms, no legs, so you can have a ring at your favorite jewelry store. There are kids right now with no arms, so the metal in your phone can stay cool, so your phone doesn't overheat. When you're on it screen looking at looking at all your photos and your Western life and your paved roads and just looking TikTok videos and living this paved, sanitized reality. There are children dying because Anglo corporations in the United States and in Europe are in the Congo right now, snatching up resources that do not belong to them and are not paying fair and equitable prices to the people on the ground who have been there for tens of thousands of years. So they can become self-sufficient and sovereign in their own right. We're not doing that. Guess what? Those people become refugees. They start, they, they go, uh, they make makeshift bathtub boats. And they try to head out to Europe to the very same places that are creating, helping the instability in their country. And as soon as they're in the water, all of a sudden some European Coast Guard intercepts them while they're in mid-transport and goes, sorry, Simba, bye-bye, go back home. Sorry, Mufasa and Mobutu, take your behind back to your country. Very interesting. And this happening every day. So while everyone out there is speaking about World War III or the, it, what, what's going on, there are countries right now that were just on their way to ascending that have been bombed back to the Middle Ages. They're the women and children and the trauma is going to go on for generations just so we can have our goods and services at the price that we get them for. Just remember that if, if you're left with anything after listening to me about this, these particular crises or the crisis that's going on, I don't want an extra emphasis being paid on what's going on in the Ukraine any more than what's going on in Venezuela, any, any, any more than what's going on in Central Africa, any more than what's going on in, in uh, Syria. No, and in countless other regions than what's going on on the Mexican border right now where thousands of Haitians, tens of thousands of Haitians and Venezuelans. Oh, and a whole lot of Central American countries that are still victims of proxy wars that existed generations ago. Instability at home. So when people ask me, what do I think about what's going on in Russia and the United States? I say, yeah, proxy wars. 70 plus years. Got it. <laughs> I've, I've heard this song. I've, I've heard this tune. I know the players. I know the, I know the people behind the keyboards. I know the people behind the instruments. So, yeah, forgive me. For, forgive me if I'm, um, um, uh, I'm not going to say ambivalent or I, I want to have another kind of conversation. I think about that Qaddafi situation a lot. I think about it. Because 
the NATO forces went in there, deposed, got rid of this man, helped kill him, funded instability, and now Libya is a failed state. The Libyans are a failed state right now. It's, it's, it's in a state of disarray. And we have countless states like that after NATO intervention. As if to say we would rather it be destabilized than it be sovereign in a direction that we do not agree with. And I can name a dozen or so instances where that's been the case. At least I can name a dozen off the top. That's not a dozen. Over the last hundred years, there's more than there's way more than a dozen. But that's our modus operandi or the superpower playbook. I would rather you be unstable, destabilized, going through a famine where you have to beg for humanitarian aid while your men and your men, man, woman and child dies. I would rather that than you guys be self-sufficient and sovereign with a political philosophy that we do not agree with, that, we, that is not aligned with our interests. Remember that next time you're saying, what are we going to do? See what's going on over there? What are we going to do? What are you going to do? You better think. Think about who you're calling we. You better think. You better think before you name me because I'm not we. We don't happen until we are aligned. If we are aligned with our interests and our morality and our principles and our ethics in a particular, because I'm not against war. I don't want anyone out there to think I'm a pacifist. Not at all. I believe in my guns. I have a lot of them. If it needs to go down, let, let it be. So be it. I am a warrior in a garden. Believe that. Believe that. What this conversation is about is who are we calling we? Who is us? Who is them? What's the difference? <clears throat> That's what these conversations are about where we are in our evolution, our upper mammalian and our lower reptilian mindset, we haven't gotten rid of war as a means to resolve issues. It's not obsolete yet. So it's still going to be here. We have how many? Six, seven, eight nuclear powers in the world? Let me tell you something. Eventually, it is an inevitability that one of these weapons are going to go off. Now, what are you thinking? your self-preservation instinct kicks in and goes, you hope that we use a bomb on someone else as opposed to them using it on us. And that's natural. And that doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you an immoral or an amoral person if you say, better them than us. i rather it happen to them than it happen to me. Because that's what we're saying right now. We have a big bad wolf on our side. They have a big bad wolf. You're just choosing which one you'd rather get bitten by. What was interesting is a friend of mine asked me, a friend of mine, um, we were having a, a conversation. He was like, yo, June, some of the stuff you say to me, you don't say on the, on, the, on the podcast. I say, yeah, I wonder why. And it's not because of Putin or Jinping either. It's not, it's not Ahmadinejad. It's not for anybody else. It's not for Hugo Chavez or wasn't for, it was not because of Fidel was going to shut me down. It's not because Ahmadinejad was going to shut me down. It's not because Vladimir Putin or Jinping were going to shut me down. Why is it that there's certain things I just won't say? With all the information that I do give out, why is it there's certain things I'm like, yeah, no. Why is it? Mm. Mm. We. I'm sorry, I'm going back there. People are, people are wondering why I keep saying we. But it's like when I hear that word, uh, what are we going to do, June? Putin is, you know, man, what are we? We got to do something. I was like, who's we, man? Me and you? What are you, born identity? What, what, what do you mean we? Are we the Avenger? What do you mean? You have to be more. <laughs> you have to be more specific. Okay, because, uh, yeah, I, I don't even want to have that conversation. You know what I mean? So all I know is 
when I look at Libya's and I look at the Venezuela's and I look at all the countries in the Middle East and I look at Central Africa and I look at the 29 bases that the United States has in, in Africa, yet that, that continent is as unstable as it, as it ever been. There's a lack of sovereignty. There's a lack of control of the resources in Africa to Africans, native Africans. There's a, you have South Africa where 90 plus percent of the wealth and the property is owned by outsiders white Afrikaners who are not native to that land and yet we were okay with that so please when people tell me about refugees and incursions and excursions and invasions I'm like listen I'm, I'm, I'm not listening to this because you, we are a la carte picking when we decide to be outraged I call it a la carte outrage you weren't outraged at what happened in Venezuela because Hugo was siding with the east with the Russians you were you you were not you were not you were okay with going into Pakistan and snatching Osama from sovereign lands without Pakistan's permission, because he was like that's Osama. He's got a different religion. He's a different this. He had the he was he was allegedly part of the bombings, et cetera, et cetera. World Trade Center. He's the number one terrorist on the planet. We got to get rid of him, and he didn't get to hold court. Why not? We have the FISA court, foreign intelligence surveillance. We have the court. We have the court. So we all, so he can stand trial and be condemned. So we can have his, so he can have his day. Yet, what do we hear? Oh, no, he was killed in the middle of the ocean at such and such time and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, really? So we captured him alive, allegedly, and now he's gone and he doesn't get to stand trial? Really? We don't get that? Maybe, like I said before, if he stood trial and we realized where the monies he got from who and how he was put in power and how he was an ally to the West for a while up until he saw the cozy relationship between the West and the Saudis and et cetera, et cetera. And, oh, wait a minute. Wait, ally turned enemy? Fr ally turned frenemy, then turned enemy? We, scoundrel. We, we make interesting bedfellows, people. Remember that. That's political expediency for you. There are no morals in politics. There is only expedience. A scoundrel may be of use to us just because he is a scoundrel. That is Joseph Stalin. I'm sorry, Vladimir Lenin. Okay? So what are we talking about? So here we are. It's 2022. <laughs> California's a mess. New York is a mess. Detroit is a mess. Murders are up 40-50%. Aggravated assaults, aggravated assaults are up 40-50% nationwide. Suicides are up, I think, almost 100%. Drug overdoses are up almost to historic highs. Ec ec unemployment is up. People have lost homes, lost jobs, lost hope. And usually when a, a politician has disapproval ratings as high as our president, Joseph R. Biden, nothing galvanizes the citizenry more than a boogeyman from outside. Galvanize. War is one of those galvanizing forces. If you don't have a boogeyman, create one. A lot of people think France invading Libya was one of those reasons as well. Sarkozy was going to be reelected or he had an election coming up the next year and his approval rating was in was in the toilet. Meanwhile, his approval rating was in the toilet. But more than half of the French agreed with the uh, uh, invasion of Libya. And he, and some people think he used that as a way used Gaddafi, the strong man, boogie, boogeyman as a way to boost up. And I know this may sound cynical to some of you out there, but this is how politics works. It's nastier than I could ever even divulge. Let me put it to you this way. The things I know about politics, I won't say over the phone, let alone over the airwaves. Even though it's common knowledge, if you read the right book, it has the right dates and times. But I won't re reference those books. I let people do their own investigating. I won't even reference them. I won't, I won't reference authors. I won't reference. I'll, re I'll only reference heads of state and the large intelligence apparatus and its generalities and i'll mention certain specificities but i'm not going to go into certain things i'm not going to do that because and why would i do that 
Why? Because everyone out there is going to have to make up their own mind after all that you've been through in your life from what you've learned from when you were six years old up until you were 18 for the 12 years of formal schooling that you were given in your educational system. Remember what Joseph Stalin said? Education is a weapon whose effects depend on who holds it in his hands and at whom it is aimed. You understand? Who benefits from what you're being told? Who benefits? Who benefits? With all the countries that we have that need humanitarian aid and help, the America, the United States right now, let me put it to you this way. This sounds crazy to some people. Maybe a, consider a serious paradigm shift. But what if you could leave the United States for places that had better employment, better weather? Would you do it? America is on the verge. If, if another country out there, listen to me now, let's say in the Caribbean or maybe some parts of the safe parts of South America, safe parts of the Caribbean and other parts of Europe. If they said, hey, um, Americans, come on in. We know you're going through a rough time. We know you're going through a, a, a rough patch with your unemployment, with your high cost of education, your high cost of medical insurance. You are the most indebted human beings on earth. You pay the most for medical care and you get some of the worst outcomes in the first world. As a matter of fact, I think we get the worst outcome in the first world, but yet we pay the most out of pocket than any other first world nation. You don't have any maternity leave. You don't have this. You don't have that. You're the only first world industrialized nation without a maternity, paternity leave. With all of these things, come over here. We're offering visas to Americans with college degrees right now. How, f how many people do you think would leave? Think about how dire things are on the ground in this country right now. How many people do you think would leave to go to Spain or something like that? If Spain said, hey, listen, Americans, we're offering you in the next six months, we're offering you a visa to stay here for a couple of years and, and, and be a permanent citizen. All we ask is that you have a college degree from an accredited university, a longstanding university. That's what we ask. <clears throat> and you have no criminal background. Hmm? That's what we're asking of you. Come and take advantage of a lot of the stuff that we have here. How many people do you think would leave? And if that became national or international news, that Spain said, come one, come all, come Americans, we have our own Statue of Liberty situation coming. How many people do you think would jump on a plane? One-way ticket. How many people? I did a poll of a lot of my professional friends, all college graduates, all have decent jobs in this country. You know what? Out of about 15 people, which is a, a, a small, small sample size, 11 said, hell yes. They'd leave in a second. They, would, they said they wouldn't even think twice. <laughs> 11. These are Americans. These are not, they're not of Spanish descent and they do not speak. I, I specifically made sure that I, didn't, I did not speak to people who spoke Spanish. I did not speak to anyone who had uh, uh, his Latin heritage. They weren't even Italian. You know, they were American-American. They weren't in France. They didn't have, they weren't Italians. They weren't, they don't have any true connection to Europe. <clears throat> Outside of some of them were, were Anglos, but it didn't matter. But they weren't, they were, you know, they go back to Germany three generations or something. They're Americans. They're two, three generations American. That's what I spoke to. 11 of them, 11 of them said, I'd leave absolutely, 100%. What's that saying about the state of affairs on the ground right here? <clears throat> I'm actually thinking Americans, citizens, People here, focus on what's going on here. Hmm? Hmm? Focus on what's going on in your hemisphere. Your hemisphere is on fire. Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, El Salvador, San Salvador, we have failed states going on. There are murders and gang and sectarian violence going on all over Central America right now. We have a refugee class that is growing exponentially right now in Central and South America. Right now. Now, it's even worse for them than it is for people in the Ukraine. Yeah, <clears throat> these people are three hours off of the coast of the United States. You have Haiti, two hours off of the coast of the United States. But who cares about Haiti? Haiti's just the, you know, people move on. Just continue drinking your lattes and your matcha teas. Nothing to see here. Haiti's, Haiti's assassination of presidents, earthquakes, famine, etc., etc. Eh. 
doesn't matter. <clears throat> Refugees in the tens of thousands on the Mexican border. Eh, yawn, yawn, moving on. Right? Meanwhile, pearls are being clutched. What are we going to do about the Russians? Knock it off. I'm sorry to be so dismissive. Knock it off. But I'll say it again. Stop it. What are we going to do? What are you going to do about what's going on here? What are you going to do about what's going on here? Detroit is still drinking lead water. Detroit is still a failed city. You want to talk about failed states. How about some of our failed state of affairs here? Hmm? How about Camden, New Jersey? How about Detroit, Michigan? How about parts of Indiana? How about parts of Pennsylvania? You have ghost towns just propping up everywhere in America right now. And that's before quote-unquote pandemics occurred. Hmm? We're going to do something probably called the, the, the literally the State of the Union, no pun intended. I, I would love to do a show like that, and I would spend, if anyone, ha, you know, I'm not right now going to be producing anything for, for, for broadcast or for video, but I do have plans possibly at the end of this year going into next year to start into video production of certain ideas that I have that are just fit for video. But if someone out there has the means, do a State of the Union. And go all across America, state to state, and see the state of places that were once prosperous, let's say 10, 20, 30 years ago, were sprawling or on their way up. And now all of a sudden, they're ghost towns. They're not even down. They're done. Let's have that conversation. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I don't want United States and Russia to turn into a binary moral play of good versus evil evil white cowboy hat versus black cowboy hat no it's not that it's more nuanced remember the, re the deliberate removal of nuance is tyranny repeat after me the deliberate removal of nuance is tyranny so you're looking at things from bad good evil good no no this is political expediency and you do not know if you're political leaders are aligned with your moral and value system would you do the same thing that they are doing if you were in their position and if your answer is no then it's not we if you have all the information and you say nah nah uh, june I, I wouldn't do that i wouldn't do that then you then i'll say listen you, then don't don't say we say them because they're not, you elected them, but at this particular moment, they are not acting on your behalf. If you have enough information to make an informed opinion, don't ever assume that your elected officials have no more about the, the, the goings on on the ground than you. The threats on the ground, the, the political realities on the ground, the actors on the ground. Don't always assume that because they sit on the Foreign Relations Committee, et cetera, et cetera, that they know a little bit more than you. And they possibly know more, but still, with the information that they have, would you act the same way they're acting? When you consider whose pockets they're in, hmm? Who contributes to their campaigns? Hmm? Who pays them? If you follow the breadcrumbs, if you follow the breadcrumbs, would you still act the same way they're acting? Hmm? What did Dwight D. Eisenhower say in his military-industrial complex speech? He said, in the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought by the, the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. Okay? The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. Right now, what do we have? We have situations where we have troops, non-troops. We have troops coming home and we have military contractors going into certain areas that have zero transparency. They are beholden to no government, but yet someone hired them to, to, car to carry out specific uh, 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 situations. You have corporations now hiring military contractors, corporate espionage with guns, former intelligence agents are making triple what they were making a a as intelligence officers. Now they're working in the private sector. 
corporate espionage, military contractors entering into certain places. There's a strike. Oh, those South American workers are, are, are striking because they are striking against their um, poor working conditions and poor wages. They're not being paid on time. They're, they're being killed on the job because of unsafe work conditions. What, is the, what do these corporations do? Behind closed doors, they clandestinely hire military contractors like the United States and like other countries have done where they can have plausible deniability if those certain individuals on the ground who paid mercenaries all of a sudden get caught or captured or get filmed doing something. They're not flying a flag. They're working on behalf of a, uh, of a country, but they're not flying a flag. They're working on behalf of a government. I'm sorry. The government and your country sometimes can be two totally different things. You can have 400 some, some odd elected officials that are not acting in the will of the 300 million people that elected them. That is a fact. Be careful with the utilization of the word we. Your government and oftentimes the people are two separate things. So those mercenaries are not acting on your behalf oftentimes. They're acting on behalf of your government. That's why many, many people that have gotten bombed by the United States military will say, I don't have a problem with the American people. They don't know what's going on on the ground. I have a problem with that American government. There's a difference. So when people go, yeah, June, you've been over there. I heard they hate us. Really? Yeah, they, yeah guess what? They don't. They don't hate us. They actually want to meet more of us. They actually want to come here despite the fact that we bombed them into oblivion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't hate us, but they hate our government. And guess what? Many of us in this country hate our government too. <laughs> hmm? This is very important, people. Very important. If, if humanity... It's going to have a renaissance. It's going to have some sort of awakening before it's all said and done. It's going to have to come through critical thinking. It's going to have to come through reflecting and being hyper-reflective about how we were taught, what we were taught, who we were told to hate, who we were told to love. Hmm? Remember that when we were born, we were already given a name. We were already given uh, uh, um, 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 a religion. We were already given an ethnicity. We didn't make those choices. And then all of a sudden, people just kept piling on. This is the language you're going to learn first. This is the language you're going to learn second. This is what you're going to learn. Everyone told us what we were supposed to know and what we were supposed to do. From our first birthday to our 18th birthday and formal education from six years old all the way to 18 years old. We were told. From six years old to 18 years old, we were told. 12 years told what to do, what to think, how to think about this side and that side. I will pose the question again, the same question I posed. When was the last time in your Hollywood, in your Hollywood uh, 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 movie watching experience has a Russian been a sympathetic, empathetic, endearing figure? Hmm? When did you ever sympathize for the Russian character? When did you ever sympathize? When were they ever the victim in the movie? If it's a Russian woman, she's a spy, she's duplicitous, she's angry, she's aggressive. If it's a Russian man, it's the same thing, right? Whether you're watching a James Bond movie, whether you're watching, whether it's Sean Connery, whether it's Roger Moore, whether you're watching a Chuck Norris movie, whether you're watching Rocky Three with Ivan Drago. Hmm? No matter what you're doing, the Russians somehow are still these Soviet Cossacks, right? In, 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 in Mercedes G-Wagons with automatic weapons and big six-foot-two big cats, you know, ready for action. They're never in the romantic comedies, are they? <laughs> They're never just playing the goofy Russian. Do you know the goofy Russian? I remember there was one comedian back in the days. He was like, I'm happy to be here, something like that. I love this country. What a country. He used to say that. He was this Russian guy, a Russian comedian, kind of playing goofy. He was the only one I knew. Only one. Every other time, 
We've been socialized to look at everyone through archetypes. We've been socialized. So as soon as we hear someone's name or their ethnicity or country of origin, it brings up something. It triggers an idea about that person or that person. So when you hear Putin, I guarantee you no one thinks of Putin. Most people in America don't think of Putin as a good guy. Hmm? You don't think of Putin as a good guy. Okay, fine. But what if I were to tell you that he hasn't done any of the things that Obama did in, in, in eight years in office, that the things that the actions that were carried out over the eight years of smooth talking Obama were worse than what Putin did. How would you feel about that? I could have that conversation. We're not going to have it now. But how would you feel? I'm posing it as a hypothetical. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying, what if I were to tell you that Obama and Hillary's actions in the world in eight years were worse than Putin in office in Russia? What were I to tell you that? That there were more people dying under the, uh, being killed under famine and refugee crisis and the humanitarian crisis is created by the eight years of Obama than they were than, Pu than, than Putin. What if I were to say that? How would you, what would you feel about that? What would you feel? What would you feel if I said what George Bush II did? Whew, pales in comparison to anything that you can blame on Vladimir. What if I were to say George Bush the first? Hmm? Because, yes, uh, Vladimir was ex-KGB, and they say once KGB, always KGB. They say the same thing about the CIA, which George Bush the first was the uh, CIA director. And once CIA, always CIA. You know, I, I you know, I was too young to, to um, understand what it meant for our C a CIA director to actually be president of the United States. When I got old enough to understand, I was like, holy moly. <laughs> I can get into conversations about how that should never happen again. But I digress. Do you want to know what happened? Do you want to know? All? We spoke about it briefly in the last episode. All the things that occurred. The reason why I'm not going into dates and times is because I want to know what people... I've already said what I think I need to say. Because I watched. I watched people in this country and our media move with ambivalence about all the crime and all the, the grime and all the famine and the blood that's being shed all over this hemisphere. We don't have to leave this hemisphere to find Syria-like conditions. We don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. Right now, I'm just I'm looking up a map, people. It's just a full disclosure. I'm, I'm just looking up a map. Um... Uh, the, the map of uh, Central America. You know, I look into a, a lot of the things that are going on. I mean, Mexico is going through God. You, you know, Mexico. <sighs> I mean, beautiful country, one of the oldest cultures in this hemisphere. I love Mexico. I love Mexican people. I love Mexican art, Mexican culture. I love how they speak the Spanish language. It's, there's a poetry to it. And I love Mexican music. I love actually being in the South Southwest. My lady laughs at me because I like sombrero style traditional Mexican music. The sad songs. I enjoy them. It, I like the somber tones. It makes me very happy. I don't know why. In any case. But I look at Guatemala. I look at Honduras, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, things that is going on in Managua right now. I mean, these countries are on fire, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know that? Some of these countries, you, I, you, you, be, you might not even want to fly over them. Do you understand? There were women, there were women that were trying to send their boys to the border of Mexico because they said the boys kept getting recruited into gangs. They said, if I can just get my son, they don't want me, I'm an old lady. If I can just get my son out of here. Boys were getting killed as young as 10, 11, 12 years old. Do you know that? And if you don't know that, then why? Then why don't you know that? Why haven't you heard this before? And if you do know that, then okay. Let's not talk about what's going on all the way over there, over there, over there. 
because you may think it's a big deal and this is an act of aggression because Vladimir is trying to become the next USSR again. He wants what Khrushchev had and blah, blah, blah. He wants to be the next Joseph Stalin, Vladimir Lenin. He wants to be a czar. He wants to be a, uh, yeah. he wants to be Vladimir the Great. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, no, not, not, with 30, not with 30 NATO members surrounding them. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Not, not with the fact that Europe, Europe, has, Europe is uh, consuming 40% of his oil. He knows that if, if, the, if he loses that European oil connect, that's his country. He's been able to re get his country out of poverty doing no small part to Europe's um, Russian oil consumption. Stop. So if they say, hey, man, knocking it down to 10% of your oil. We ain't using your oil or, or whatever. We're going to do something different. <laughs> All of a sudden, he'd be like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to play nice. There are a lot of things at play right now. And I know I'm not going to convince a lot of people that, you know, it's, it's bigger and it's not as, it's not as simple as we got to stop them, we. Or, you know, June, I, I get you what you're saying, but, you know, you know, you know, no, there is no USSR. If anybody out there thinks that that it's 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 misleading or it's naive to look at uh, Russia uh, as not the USSR. No, you don't understand the facts on the ground and what Russia had to give up to be this endearing figure, to be the kind of actor and ally and partner where 40 percent of their oil and oil pipelines. You don't you, none of us here understand the relationship between Russia and Europe because you are under your Hollywood propaganda and your media machine that has over there him being the boogeyman. Which, so you don't get it. You don't get it. So if he was the boogeyman, there's no way that 40% of Europe's oil would come from him because he had to give up so much to get that, to, to, to be able to be that kind of trusted partner where Europe would trust him enough to fuel 40%. Are you kidding me? But so when people go, you know what, yo, you got to watch them, though. Yeah, we got to watch everybody. Who's watching us? People, unbridled power and power unchecked. It attracts the worst and corrupts the best. Just saying. Until next time, people. Hope you enjoyed this episode of me just ranting and raving. We'll talk soon. Bye bye.